Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Uh, today we're starting a new series called God and Politics. And uh, this is the thing. We all know in polite society you don't talk about religion and politics, right? Good thing that we're not polite. <laughs> Why don't you talk about God and politics with people? Well, because these are two deeply personal issues that are closely tied to our identity. So whenever we start talking about religion and politics with people, it's easy to get offended. And I want to acknowledge that from the start. So with that being said, I will tell you, if you stick around through this whole message, if you're watching online and and you make it through the whole thing, uh, you will probably have your feelings hurt at some point, whether you're Republican or Democrat. If you are a breathing human being, you'll probably hear something today that you're not thrilled about. And let me help you with this. If you attend a church where you always agree with everything the pastor says all the time and you're never offended, you're probably going to the wrong church. You should be a little offended from time to time when you go to church. Um, and so I just want to warn you, it's probably going to happen. And, uh, and so with that said, I'm going to lay out some ground rules for us. Number one, no matter how Pentecostal you are, today we're all Baptists. Okay? There is... I don't want you giving me feedback during the message. No matter how much you like a point, I don't want you to amen or shout me down or stand up and wave a hanky, although that doesn't happen around here very often. I don't want that to happen because this is the thing. If someone gets offended at me or they get upset at me, I can live with that. But what I don't want is someone to be upset with you because you agree with a point that offends someone else. Does that make sense? So I don't want you nudging someone I don't want you, uh uh-huh, like nothing like that, okay? Can we agree to that? Okay, that's your your last one. That's it, though, okay? So, So help me with that, because at the end of the day, the goal for this series, and you're gonna hear this several times today and even in the next couple weeks, the goal for this series is for us to disagree politically and love unconditionally. Can we, as Christians, make a decision that we can disagree with someone's politics and still love them deeply? And I'm not talking about a love where we just tolerate somebody or we can stand to be in the same room as somebody. I'm talking about an actual living love that we will serve them and bless them. Can we disagree politically and love unconditionally? That is the goal for this series. So with that said, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be answering some questions and talking through some things. And, um, and so today, the question we're going to be talking about is, what do you believe? Because in Christian faith, we believe lots of things, right? We're told to believe. Jesus said, anything is possible for you who believe. And so we understand belief. But the problem is, there are things that we believe too strongly, and there are some things that we don't believe enough of. And so what I want to do today is just unpack a little of that and walk through some of this with you. So I'm going to ask some questions, and this may get progressively more painful as we go along. It may not. Maybe not. 
I think it will, though, so we'll see. Number one, do you believe that your emotions are evidence that you're right? Do you believe that your emotions are evidence that you're right? See, we live in a world that says if you don't have evidence, then just turn up the volume, right? If you're arguing with somebody, if you just argue louder, then that means you're right and you've won. And so many times we hear people say things like, well, I just believe and this is what's in my heart and this is what I know. And, and what I see scripturally is just because we believe something doesn't make it true. Just because we believe something sincerely doesn't make it true. In fact, we can be sincerely wrong. This is what the prophet Jeremiah says. He says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? He says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. This word deceitful here is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It's akob. And akob, it means um, deceitful, sly, insidious, um, slippery. It's a, it's a Difficult road to travel, if you're trying to put it in context. This word is only used three times in Scripture. The, word, the way it's interpreted is deceitful, as we just saw. Crooked. Now imagine going a crooked path. It's hard to navigate. And the last way it's interpreted is, is polluted. Would you ever choose the crooked road or the straight road? No, you choose the straight road. It's easier to navigate, right? Would you ever choose to drink the polluted water? No, you would not. You wouldn't trust that water, Right? Because it's polluted, it's, it's gross. So we would never drink out of that. But yet we trust our hearts constantly, even though clearly what Jeremiah is saying here is we can't trust our hearts. So when, when your guidance counselor in high school or college says, just follow your heart, that's the worst advice anybody can give you. They're saying, drink this polluted water. It's gonna be fine. Maybe you'll get sick, but I'm sure it'll turn out Okay. At the end of the day, one of the worst things we can do is trust our heart because we can believe something sincerely and be sincerely wrong. In Romans chapter 12, this is a verse we read a couple weeks ago, uh, Paul's writing to the Romans, and he says in verse two, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. He's saying let God change how you think and what you believe, and this is how you're gonna be transformed. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So how does this happen? We submit our hearts to God, and we go, God, maybe there's some things I believe that aren't true. So God, I need you to change the way I think. I need you to transform my mind. So God, Help me understand that sometimes my emotions lie to me and my heart lies to me. And help me to believe that which is true by conforming my heart to the things that please you. That was pretty painless, right? Number two, do you believe that this election is the answer for America? Now we're waiting into it a little bit, aren't we? I've talked to people who believe that if Donald Trump is not reelected, this country will plunge off this cliff into a chasm. And I've talked to people who believe if Joe Biden is not elected, this country will plunge off a cliff 
into a chasm. Do you want to know how I know that? Because both of those people go to our church, right? Some of you right now are going, we go, we go to church with Republicans? We go to church with Democrats? Yes, you do. So I've talked to people who are concerned about the state of our nation and have said things like, this is the most important election in my lifetime. Maybe. What they're really saying is, our country's in trouble, and if my candidate doesn't win, then all hope is lost. Maybe. I want to refer back. There's a passage of Scripture in in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, um, Israel was a theocracy. It was led by the high priest who was led by God. Things were going pretty well. This is what God had intended. And the, the people, the representatives of the nation of Israel come to, to the high priest, Samuel, and they say, Samuel, we want a king. He says, no, you don't. You don't want a king. No, believe us. We want a king, like all the other nations around us. He's like, believe me, you don't. Says, yeah, we do. Go talk to God about it. So he goes to God and goes, God, I'm sorry. They want a king. God says, they've got a king. Yeah, they want a real king. I am a real king. And he's like, no, no, no. They want a human king. And God's kind of ticked off about it. And he goes, okay, go, go tell them. They can have a king if that's what they really want. So Samuel goes back and he says, here's why it's a bad idea for you to have a king. You're, you're gonna be taxed like crazy. Your kids are gonna be enslaved. They're gonna take your stuff. Here's all the reasons you don't want a king. And they said, yes, we do want a king. And this is what they said in 1 Samuel 8, 20. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. Which sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Our king is going to to lead us and to take care of us, and he's going to be what we're looking for. This doesn't sound like a bad thing, but let me read a couple other verses to you that are indicative of A bigger issue. Psalm chapter 50, verse 6 says this Then let the heavens proclaim his justice, talking about God, for God himself will be the judge. God himself will be the judge. Did you catch that? Let me read another passage of scripture to you. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 9. It says, But recognize today that the Lord your God is the one who will cross over ahead of you, cross over the Jordan into the promised land. Like a devouring fire to destroy them, he will subdue them so that you will quickly conquer them and drive them out just as the Lord has promised. And what he's saying is, if you read it in a different interpretation, the Lord himself will go before you into battle is what it's saying. And both of these statements, that the Lord is our judge, that God is our judge, and that he goes before us into battle, are statements we see throughout the Old Testament. That it is part of his identity, it's part of his character, it's part of his nature. This is what he does. So let's refer back to 1 Samuel. The people said, we want a king like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. And what they're really saying and what made God kind of ticked off was the fact that they were saying, we don't need God. We've got a king. We've got a king to do the things for us that God wants to do, but we're not going to let him because we need a king. And so many Christians in the United States have said, we want a king. If we just had a king, then a king can fix what's going on. If we had a king, then that is the answer to the problems we have. 
If we had a king, then he can lead us and judge us. And God the whole time is going, you had a king who led you and judged you if you just trusted me, but you didn't trust me. You wanted a a physical presentation. You wanted somebody there. And what I want to help you with, this nation, our republic, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a book on tape right now. Um, David McCullough, 1776. It's a miracle of God that our nation ever came into existence, by the way. This nation is incredibly resilient. It has survived lots of bad presidents from both parties. We're still alive. Um, (laughs) No matter who was elected in November, I want to help you with this. No matter who is sworn in in January, no matter who occupies the Oval Office, I still know who occupies the throne in heaven, and it is God himself. So no matter what else happens in politics, no matter what happens in Washington, D.C., no matter what happens in Harrisburg, I'm here to tell you God is still in control of who's in control. That we as believers don't have anything to worry about. The problem comes whenever we say we want a king. We've got to be careful that... that We don't try to ask the government or a politician or a person to do something that God wants to do for us, that God wants to go before us into battle. He wants to be our judge. He wants to be our provider. But yeah, what happens is we look at the government and we go, the government should be doing this. The president should be doing this. Let me help you with something. Did you know if if the church, and I'm talking about the corporate church and you as the individual church, and I mean across the nation. If the church would act like the church, do you know how many government programs would go away immediately? If the church would just take care of people in need and people that are homeless and people that have, 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 have issues with food. If the church would just act like the church, there's a whole bunch of things that we wouldn't need the king to do. So just... No, no matter what happens in November, God's still in control. Do we need a a president? Yeah, but a president is not our king. God is king. Number three, do you believe that heaven is real? Now, this seems like a silly question in church, right? Of course we believe heaven is real. But do you really? Because if heaven is real, then we have to understand that heaven is eternal, And if heaven is eternal, then that means what we are experiencing here is temporary. And if what we're experiencing here is temporary, then that means politics are temporary. There's a couple of passages. Let me read to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. So Paul says, we see all the troubles, but that's not where we fix our eyes. He says, rather, we fix our gaze on the things we cannot see. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. He's saying there is a kingdom that's eternal, and that's where we fix our eyes. But yet so many believers have fixed their eyes and fixed their hope on what we see. That we see the politics, we see the the policy, we see all the things going on around us, and our hope rises and falls in this. And what Paul is telling the, the Corinthian church is, no, 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 no matter how good things are around us, no matter how bad things are around us, we don't look at the circumstance. What we do is we fix our eyes on the eternal kingdom of heaven. We fix our eyes on Jesus because that is what will last. No matter who's elected, they're gonna be a footnote in history. 
2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This tent is going to pass away. We're all going to die because life is temporary. And if life is temporary, politics are temporary. But we have to remember that heaven is eternal. That, that as much as you might love our nation, we are citizens of a higher nation. And that is a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that is where our identity lies. So if we really believe that heaven is an eternal, that heaven is an eternal place, that we're gonna reside with God in glory, let me ask you a few questions. <laughs> Why do, does it make you nervous when I giggle like that a little bit? Why do people know more about what you believe politically than what you believe spiritually? If we really believe that heaven is eternal and what we're experiencing here is, is temporary, why are you more comfortable putting a, a, a sign for a political candidate that you maybe have never met or will ever meet in your yard, but, but you're a little uncomfortable putting a summit sticker on your car? <laughs> I'm just getting in your business right now, right? Well, pastor... My religion is deeply personal, and I don't think it's for other people to, to you know, I, I don't want to force that on anybody. No, no, I've seen some of your Facebook posts. You're forcing your politics on other people. You don't have any issue with that. We will, we will gleefully put a sign in our yard of our political candidate to announce to the world who we support, but when it comes to our faith, we want to keep that deeply personal. Do I have any problem you putting a sign in your yard? No. That is the beauty of our country, you can support whatever political candidate you want or not at all if you don't want to. If you put a sign in your yard that this is what I want to encourage you to do, if, if you are talking loudly about your politics, you better be talking equally as loudly about your faith in God. And if you're not, maybe you're supporting the wrong kingdom. Aren't you glad I told you earlier you couldn't say amen? Because I'm sure you all would have shouted me down, carried me out on your shoulders, yeah. It's the greatest thing ever. I, I haven't been on Facebook really in about 10 weeks. And so if I haven't responded to a message from you, that's why. Uh, but I get on Facebook and I see some of the discourse. And if we really believe heaven is eternal, then why will we argue with people for hours on social media about a political view and yet the only thing we ever post about our faith in Christ is a cheesy meme that says a picture of Jesus on it and says, like if you love Jesus, ignore if you love Satan or something like that. We will post this kind of stuff, but we never have real discourse about our faith in God, about what Christ has done for us, how he's transformed us, how he's re rescued our marriages, how he saved me from hell, how he brought my family together. We don't talk about that because it's personal, but I'm glad to tell you about why your political candidate is the worst person ever. See, the problem is we say we believe in heaven and we say we believe heaven is eternal, but we live as if this kingdom is eternal. And we need to flip that upside down. Politics are temporary. Heaven is eternal. Number four, do you believe the worst about the people who don't share your political view? 
Come on, let's be honest. It is so easy to do, isn't it? It's so easy to believe that all Democrats are or all Republicans are, right? I should have said this at the beginning of the message, but, but really, when you look at what we're talking about today, we're really talking about relationships more than anything else. This will work in your marriage if you'll apply it this way. Because just as easy as it is to demonize a Democrat or Republican, it's easy to do that with your spouse. It's easy to see somebody that you might be in conflict with and believe the worst about them instead of believing the best about them. It's easy to do. Somebody in your office, they do something and you automatically assume the worst. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever found out somebody you know and love voted for the other political candidate and it shocked you? Like you had a moment where you're like, wait, you, what? Like maybe you saw a post or you signed a sign in their yard and you like almost had a wreck driving down the street. You're like, what in the world? I thought I knew them. I thought we were friends. I had them in my home. They betray me like this, right? Now I'm being a little dramatic, but don't we do that? I've had those moments where I was like the record scratch moment where they're like, what just happened? Because we have these assumptions about our opponents and we assume that they are evil, that they're the worst. How do we come to that? Well, because that's what's driven into us. Have you seen political ads? <laughs> they're insane. <laughs> do you like coronavirus? <laughs> Probably not. Do you know who invented it? Donald Trump. <laughs> Do you love old people and, and babies? Do you know who doesn't? Joe Biden. <laughs> if a, a vote for Biden is a vote against grandma. <laughs> right? Do you know why they do this? Do you know why you hear about why the opponent is bad rather than why my policies are good? I'm serious when I say this, because they're driving fear into us. Fear drives clicks on social media. Fear drives dollars and donations. That's why. That's why you hear Joe Biden say things like, Donald Trump, he's taking away your health care. He, he's, it's going to be anarchy if Donald Trump comes into office. He's taking away your rights. Look at what's happening to Donald Trump. Right? He, he's trying to drive fear. Donald Trump does the same thing. If you have guns and you want to keep your guns, don't vote for Joe Biden. He's taking all of our guns. What is he doing? He's driving fear. And what we have done as believers is we have swallowed this hook, line, and sinker. And so what we do is we believe the very worst about our opponents because that's what we have been told to do. I actually got a question during our, our Asking for a Friend series, and the person asked the question, how can someone be a Democrat and a Christian? Now, this is, this is a valid question. I, I get this question, but I want you to hear something. We have Democrats and Republicans in our church, and I'll talk to Democrats, and they will say things like, you know what, I don't understand. I don't understand how a Republican be pro-life, but pro-death penalty. Like, if they're really pro-life, why aren't they pro-life all the way? And this is something they don't understand. 
And so what we're, what we're seeing is two sides who have believed the worst about the other and they lack understanding. So they drive fear, fear of loss, loss of rights, loss of health, loss of money, loss of power, loss of control, loss of life. And we do believe the very worst about each other if we're not careful. I wanna wade into a couple things that might make you a little uncomfortable. Something, like I said, I've been off social media, something came to my attention not too long ago. And if you have never heard of this, don't worry about Googling it. But somebody brought this thing to my attention, it's Pizzagate. Pizzagate is this um, theory that there is a, uh, a ring of uh, human traffickers led by prominent Democrats, and it's based out of this pizza shop in New York. And they do crazy things to children. Now, lots of people believe this theory. And as I've talked to some people about this, um, they were very sincere in how they felt. They were hurt by this, the thought of children being hurt. And so I don't want to downplay that part of it at all. But as I started looking at it more, what I realized is this looks a lot like this prominent theory that's kind of been woven through history. Like literally for thousands of years, the same kind of idea has been propagated against different groups. In fact, the Jews were accused of some of the exact same things that Democrats have been accused of, according to this theory, um, throughout the centuries. And this is one of the reasons why Jewish people were persecuted by the Romans. And even in the last 300 years in, in Europe, they've been persecuted because people believed that Jewish people were hunting kids down, capturing them, and drinking their blood. So when I began to get into this and read it, I realized this is just the same recycled theory that's been propagated over history. This isn't new. And so as I talked to people, they said, well, what if it's real? What if it's really happening? And I said, well, do you know what doesn't help is throwing a fit on social media about it. Do you know what does help? Go get connected with the human trafficking organization, like A21, and say, how can we put a stop to human trafficking? How can I donate money? How can I give time? How can I work remotely to help end human trafficking? That's what will solve the problem. So we have theories on the right that we've believed the wrong things, and we've got theories on the left that we believe the wrong things. We haven't really talked about the political organization of Black Lives Matter from stage. We've talked about race some. We've talked about equality. We've talked about what Paul says, that there's neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female, slave nor free, that we are one in Christ. So I, would, I just want you to hear this from your pastor. I believe the Black Lives Matter as a political organization is nefarious. It is anti-Christian. It's anti-God. It's anti-Orthodox church because they're anti-family and they have stated such. They are four things that Orthodox churches cannot be for. And as a result, it's difficult for me to encourage you to support the political organization of Black Lives Matter. Now, with that said, one of the things that really makes me angry is they've hijacked the phrase Black Lives Matter and turned it political. And so what's happened is many people on the right have seen this movement and they disregard the whole thing, the political movement along with the people and go, ah, can you believe? But what I want you to hear is this, 
there are people associated with this. There are real human beings that you know and love that are hurt by racism in our nation. Whether you can agree on how big the issue is or not, there are real issues with people you love and know that are hurt by racism and bigotry and bias in our nation. And so to disregard the, the Black Lives Movement matter because we don't agree with the political organization is disregarding the fact that there are real human beings. And if we're gonna be honest, real human beings on our staff, people of color, real human beings in our church, people of color, who feel nervous at times. Now let me back up. Black Lives Matter has pushed a narrative that people of color are in real danger from the police. You should be afraid of the police. They are your enemy. In fact, anyone in authority, if they don't see things like we are, they are the enemy. And as a result, people on the left have believed the wrong thing. We have believed that police are the enemy, that you've got to pick sides. You either love black people or you love the police, but you can't love both. And I propose this. What if as rational believers, we choose to default to love? We choose to love anyway. What if we say we're going to love black people really, really, really well, and we're going to choose to love police really, really, really well? And if somebody in either one of those groups does something stupid, which they will because they're human beings, we're going to hold the individual accountable instead of saying all of that group is terrible. But it's way easier for us to push the narrative of, nope, if you're a police officer, you have to hate black people. If you're a black person, you have to hate police officers. What if we just say we're going to love both because that's what Christ has called us to do? We're going to love well. This is what I know, and I've said this before. If you look for the best in someone, you're gonna find it. If you look for the worst in someone, you're gonna find it because they're both there. We have people who have been to this church and left the church, and they hate my guts. They think I might be the Antichrist. And we have people that attend here who love me. I don't know why. You're deranged. Why can both of those things happen? Well, because they're both true. If you look for the best in someone, you're going to find it. If you look for the worst in someone, you're going to find it. Because we, we find what we look for. <laughs> My mom doesn't see the worst in me. Do you know why? Because she finds what she looks for. She looks for the best. Is it there? Yeah. But so is the worst. So when we look at this in a political lens, we have to filter it through the lens of Scripture and the lens of the heart of Christ and understand that it is our responsibility to look for the best even in somebody we disagree with. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. It says, love, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, typically, we talk about this in the context of romantic love, but this is any kind of love that a Christian can encounter. And we are called to love our enemies. And so what we see here, if you look at it in different interpretations, it says love believes all things and hopes all things. It, it never loses faith, it believes all things. So this is what this is saying. Paul is telling the Corinthian church, even with your enemies, even with people you disagree with, because that's the context here, he's saying you believe the best in the people that you disagree with. You don't believe the worst. 
You hope all things. You hope for the best in people you disagree with. You don't hope for the worst. If you read news, bad news about the the political opponent, and, and you delight in that, I think the Holy Spirit wants to check your heart. We should not delight in bad news about a political opponent. (laughs) Gosh, lots of places I could go there. I'm going to pause. Fifth point. Do you believe unity is important? Do you believe unity is important? All of us would say yes. But what we would disagree on is its level of importance. See, some of us would say, yes, unity is important, but it's somewhere down the range. It's not the most important thing. But do you know who would disagree with you? Jesus. Do you know how I know this? A couple reasons. Number one, in John chapter 17, he's, he's giving his farewell address. John 15, 16, and 17 is kind of like his, his swan song to his, uh, to his followers. And in, in chapter 17, he prays this prayer called the high priestly prayer. And I preached a series on this a few years ago. Uh, if you want to go back and find it, you can. But, but this is how he wraps up this prayer. And this is what he's praying. I'm going to start in verse 22. He's praying to God and he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. He's talking about his followers. So he says, God, you've given me glory and I've transferred it to them that they may be one even as we are one. He says, I've given them your glory so that they could have unity in the body of Christ. He goes on to say, I in them, you in me, that they may be perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love me or love them even as you love me. Why is unity important? Because unity is evidence of who Jesus Christ is. When we act like the world acts, all that does is confirm to non-believers that church and faith and religion and God is a waste of time. Why would I give up a Sunday morning? Why would I give up a Saturday night to go to church when I act just like they do? They're just as angry about politics as I am. They act a fool just like I do. So what's the difference? But when we are unified, when we come together, when we love people that that disagree with us politically, when we love people in other churches, when we love people that look differently than us ethnically, when we love people who are different socioeconomic groups, when we come together in unity, that is evidence to people of the authenticity of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I'm praying for unity, that they would be one as we are one, so the world may know that I'm really your son, that they are loved deeply by you. See, Jesus prayed in this final prayer that we would be unified, but we disregard this because of our politics. I want you to know something. This is a scheme of the enemy. This is a demonic plan of the enemy to divide churches. There, there was a, a passage from a book called The Dynamics of Spiritual Life by Richard Lovelace. And he says this. I want to read this, this excerpt. He says, Demonic agents italicize the defects of Christians and churches in the minds of unbelievers and cause true Christianity to be branded with the image of its own worst exemplars or to be totally confused with counterfeit religions. 
They're also particularly active in dividing Christians from one another in parties, subtly reinforcing stereotypes in the mind of believers who are not on guard against this, magnifying weaknesses, minimizing virtues to produce divisive caricatures. Unless this stratagem is correctly discovered, Christians can waste a great deal of time buffering one another in the dark instead of combining forces to face their common enemy. I think our enemy understands if I can get a church divided, if I can get a people divided, if I can get a nation divided, if I can get a house divided, they will stop moving forward. They're going to be so focused on fighting each other that they're not going to be able to do anything about pushing back on darkness. So I'm going to distract them with this instead. Some of us spend so much time obsessing over politics that we don't even ask the question, God, what do you have me to do today? God, what are you trying to speak to me today? What do you want to do in me today? Who would you have me love today? Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know you're my disciples by your love one for another. The evidence of your walk with Christ is how you love your brothers and sisters, how you love the people around you. It's not how often you go to church. It's not what political candidate you're voting for. It's love. There's a a passage in Psalm 19. uh, (laughs) I was going through a difficult season. I was an associate pastor at a church and I was having some challenges with my boss, with my pastor. And, And I was right, but if I wasn't careful, I wasn't gonna be righteous. And history has proven out, I was right. But in my rightness, I could have forfeited my righteousness. And so I prayed the prayer that that David prayed in Psalm 19, 14, over and over and over again. And he says this, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God. He says, God, let the things I say be pleasing to you. But, but God, I pray that not just what I say, but let the things I think about, that let the things I believe be pleasing to you as well. God, I'm gonna filter what I believe through your filter instead of my filter. God, I'm gonna let you shape what I believe instead of letting outside forces shape what I believe. So my question to you today is this. Will you filter your politics through faith or will you craft a faith that supports your politics? See, what's happened for so many of us is we've crafted a faith that supports our politics. You can find a verse in scripture that's gonna support anything you wanna say politically, I promise, you'll find it. Is that what you've done? Or do you say, God, I'm gonna lay down all of my political convictions and I'm gonna let you direct me. I'm gonna let you guide me. I'm gonna filter all these beliefs through scripture. I'm gonna filter all these beliefs through who you are instead of who MSNBC tells me. I should vote for, or, or CNN, or Fox, or OAN, or whoever it may be. God, you're gonna be my source. So here's what I'm asking you to do this week. Throughout this series, I want us to pray this prayer together. I want us to be praying this prayer. Make us one so that we can influence the culture. Start with me. Make us one 
unify us. Let's pray this prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. Make us one, God. God, help us to lay down our preferences for the unity of the body. Make us one so that we can influence culture. And this is the hard part. Start with me. This reminds me of of David (laughs) when he prays the prayer in 139, Psalm 139. Search me and know me. If there's any unclean way in me, if there's anything that displeases you, show me. God, start with me. God, if there's anything in me that's not pleasing to you, if there's anything in me that, that causes disunity in the body, God, show me, reveal it to me. Start with me. The other thing I would ask you to do is this. Find an opportunity to unconditionally love someone you disagree with politically. So find an opportunity to love someone unconditionally that you disagree with politically. Now, if you don't know anybody who disagrees with you politically, (laughs) maybe we need to talk, okay? Um, Maybe your bubble is too small. Maybe you need to begin to reach out a little bit to some people who think differently than you do. Find someone that you disagree with and love them unconditionally somehow. Bless them, encourage them, pray for them, do something. And I promise your heart's gonna begin to shift. Because on the other side of every political disagreement is a real human being that Jesus died for and loves. What do you believe? You know, our belief system has to begin with a belief in Jesus Christ, that he is Lord. That above all else, he is savior. And he's the one we can trust. So if you're here today and maybe you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus, today is your day. So I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes all over this room. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us so much. You've given us breath. You've given us life. God, thank you most of all that you've given us your son, Jesus. God, I I repent of the times that I found my hope, that I found, uh, put my belief in political party, in a politician, even in our government, in our nation. God, today, collectively, we put our hope in you. We put our belief and our faith in you, and we're asking you to do what no politician can do. So God, minister in our hearts today. I pray if there are things we've believed that have been wrong, that have been contrary to scripture, God, root that out of our lives. Help us to remember that we are first and foremost Christians. So God, I pray that you would bind us together in love, that you would bring a sense of unity, not to just to this church, but to your church. God, I pray that the church of Jesus across this nation would be unified like never before. I pray that it would be a sign to unbelievers like never before, that we love unconditionally even when we disagree politically. God, I pray for those that are here that don't know you that have never surrendered their lives to you, that have never said yes to you, that they believe in you and they surrender their life. Let today be the day. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here and you'd say, Mel, I'm I'm not really in relationship with God. I'm not really walking with Christ, but I, I wanna be. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna say a prayer with you. So if you're here today and you'd say, Mel, pray with me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna believe in him. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Is there any? You'd say, Mel, pray for me. Today's my day. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Okay. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Mel, 
something you talked about was honestly a little convicting for me. And I need the Holy Spirit to, to shift some things in my heart. I need the Holy Spirit's help in, in dealing with some of the issues that, that I recognize might be there. Would you pray for me? If that's you, slip your hand up. Let me just pray with you. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people. Praise God. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that you didn't send Jesus to save us from bad politics. You sent Jesus to, to make dead people alive. So Lord, I pray that we as your people would not get sidetracked on things that, that don't have eternal consequence. God, I pray that you would help us be good citizens, help us to vote and do all the things we're supposed to do, but help us to remember that our, our citizenship is primarily in heaven, first and foremost. So God, I pray that you'd help each of us in this place who are struggling with this tension we're dealing with. Help us to manage it well and help us to lay down the things we need to lay down and value the things we need to value, whatever it may be. So God, I pray that you would help us be disciplined enough to take some steps. Maybe it's to, to make some changes or to, to break off some things, social media or how much we watch TV or the news, whatever it may be, God, I pray that you would show us that and direct us. And God, I pray that you would be what we believe in more than anything else. That you would be where we begin. That God, we would start with love instead of starting with mistrust in relationships. So God, I just pray your blessing on us today. Minister in us, be glorified through us, God. I love you and I'm so grateful that you have called us to unity and you have invited us into your kingdom. Let us never take that for granted. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys for joining us today. Um, just want to let you know, I mentioned a couple weeks ago to you that we were going to be starting in-person prayer again soon. And so I'm going to invite our prayer team to go ahead and join me up here at the front of the room. Some of our staff is going to be up here as well. And if you're here today and you would like in-person prayer, uh, our team and some of our prayer uh, team are going to be here to agree with you. And if, uh, if you would like to wear a mask, please feel free to take, take advantage of that. If you feel more comfortable not, our prayer team is okay with that and they're going to pray with you. So as we dismiss in just a moment, feel free to make your way up and let one of our prayer team agree with you in prayer today. And if you're watching online and you like prayer, you can simply uh, hit the live prayer button or you can email your prayer needs to prayer at summitpa.church. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I hope to see you back here next week as we continue this series, God and Politics. I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great week.